0: So the Joplin family, they are in need of help. They have one kid that is already in college, and then they have a junior in high school. So while they have entered into the stage where life's pace is not quite as hectic, the amount of money they are needing to spend on their children has increased dramatically. And neither of the spouses have increased a $40,000 pay raise. And so, Mr. Joplin already works 55 hours billing as an accountant at one of the big five firms, and he knows he could add 10 more. I mean, that might help offset the college payment a little bit, but they're really gonna have to take out loans. And it has just set this weight on Mr. and Mrs. Joplin for the next seven years. Their, their child comes in for Easter a couple weeks ago. And they come to church, and then they go out for brunch after, and the youngest child remarks, this is the first time all four of us have been together since Christmas Day. The Boyles family also needs help. They have four children under the age of 13, and one of the in-laws has now moved to Austin and is living at one of the assisted living places. They also had to take into the family a guinea pig and a lizard because their eight-year-old just wants to be a veterinarian. Life is very hectic for them. Time is always crunched. One kid is late to something every day. Another kid has the stomach bug, and another kid is getting over the stomach bug. There is always someone who is hungry because they didn't like what the mother had offered for the last meal, and there's always someone yelling, whether it be a child or a parent. Family dinner, for them, means one parent, one or two kids, and whatever is the nearest fast food restaurant on the way to the dance or on the way home from soccer practice. This family needs help. All modern families need help. But this is not new. This is actually a timeless truth that since the beginning of time, all families and all people have needed help. We literally came out of the womb crying. We came out of the womb needing the assistance of other people, and so rest assured, this sermon series isn't going to solve families never needing help again. My hope is that we are able to to provide some tools so that we are able to have more places at our table, more tools to help us as we are trying to, to live this modern family together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at several aspects in Scripture, families that got it right, families that got it wrong. And I'm going to tell you in one of those weeks the absolute secret, the biggest secret to raising a healthy child or grandchild. We're also going to find out that all of us have a responsibility to care for the elderly in our lives and specifically in our families. And next week, we're going to look at what are the modern day Goliaths that families are facing. And so I hope that you will come. I hope you will continue to come or you will tune in, and we will learn something. I hope that we'll get a little encouraged, maybe a little challenged. Maybe we will feel a little connection and kindredness with these stories of Scripture. Because the truth is, from Genesis on, the Old Testament into the New Testament is filled with. Regular people making horrible decisions and then dealing with the consequences. What a gift that we can learn from these mistakes that these ancients made. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start with the ancient family of Israel. Now there's very few places in the Old Testament where Israel is experiencing peace. When you go back and read it, it's mostly war. There's mostly conflict. They're pushing through something to get to an achievable space. But there's this one time, and they have reached the promised land, and the Israelites are living in the promised land, and they've been there for decades, and there's been very little war. Families are flourishing. Everybody has their own land. They have land to to grow crops on. Everybody's getting along, and Joshua, their leader, is, is getting old, and he knows his time is about to pass. And so he gives his last lecture, and he tells the Israelites, he says, you need to remember why you are here. You need to remember why you have it so good now. Your ancestors worked so very hard, but your God worked harder. You live — it's a haunting statement — you live in houses you did not build, and you eat from vineyards that you did not plant. He is reminding them. All that you have, all this goodness, this amazingness is because of God. And then Joshua says this. He says, you know, in this land there will still be the enemy. There will still be evil. Right now things are going okay, but you better watch out. There will always be something vying for your attention. Always be something trying to pull you away from serving God. And this is the scripture that he says. He says, now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served in that region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joshua tells them, choose this day who you will serve. Choose. The Hebrew word that he uses for choose is the same when we are told that God chose Israel. God chose you out of all the people that could have been chosen, God chose you. What do you choose? Now, when you think about choices, we all don't have the same choices. We don't get choice in everything. I didn't get to choose what family I was born into. I I was blessed to be born into a family where I never thought about the next meal or roof over my head or how my parents were going to pay for college. Likewise, our personal family now, my husband and I, we made a choice when we first got married, that to choose that we were going to give 10% of our earned income to our church. We made that choice, which means we've had to say no to certain other things in our lives. I'm also very well aware that as a white person born here, that I have choices that are much more wide and varied and limitless compared to a person of color, to compared to a person of lower economic status, or an immigrant. So I'm naming that up front. We don't all have access to the same choices, but here's the thing. Every single one of us, regardless of our income or the color of our skin or our ethnic background, we get to choose what to ground our lives on, what to build our lives on, what we are going to say directs and, choose and gives our life meaning and purpose. We get to choose that every single day. and I think it's interesting that Joshua doesn't say, choose. He says, choose this day. It's a daily thing. We are going to have to go up against it. When you look at the passage, the pericope that Kevin read, both of the men experienced the same exact storms. Both had the wind beat against their house. Both had the heavy rains one was wise and one was foolish. And the only thing that set it apart was what they built their house on. They both both had a house, rock or sand. I want us to remember who Jesus is preaching to. This is the end, the very last thing Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. So he's preaching to crowds of thousands of peasants, And this is the last word that he wants to leave with him, and he is doing it off of the Sea of Galilee, this gorgeous lake. This gorgeous lake that is teeming with food and with fish. And right around Galilee is lush agricultural land where rocks are. But the truth is, most of Israel-Palestine area is very, very sandy. It's not ideal for, for growing. It's, it's expensive to put a house down with a foundation. And it hit me, he's talking to all these folks that have live in homes built on sand. I wonder if we, metaphorically, have built our houses on sand. Why would you do that? Y'all know what happens when you go to the beach and you build a sand castle? It's like building it on liquid. Soon as the water comes up, it's going to go away. It is foolish to build a house on sand. Why would someone in first century build their house on sand? Because it's cheaper. It's quicker. It's easier. It's better, it's better to have a house built on sand than no house at all. You see, this is actually him coming up against, keeping up with the Joneses. That crowd would have understood this analogy they didn't want to have to worry about the extra cost they didn't want to have to worry about maybe bypassing having a house even though they know they knew that that house might fall they would rather have something cheaper easier and it let them keep up with the neighborhood choosing a house built on rock takes more time it takes sacrifice and it is definitely not going to be keeping up with the neighborhood so what do we choose friends Our house here in Austin is not like most of your homes, I imagine. We do not have a foundation. Our house is built on these enormous three foot wide concrete pillars. There are like 10 of them under our house. So essentially our house is built on stilts. But each of those goes deep into the ground and each of those is solid. And I've looked at them thinking about the flooding here, and Austin and I thought, well, one or two could go down, and we'd be okay. I want y'all to think about what are those pillars, those rocks that are holding up your modern family? I'm not talking about finances, because we all know finances can be washed away. I'm not talking about good health, oh, man, can that get beat down in one ER trip. I'm talking about community servanthood, generosity, kindness, loyalty. What is your modern family built on? And you can choose, we can choose this day what we are going to build our homes on. So what I want to propose is an experiment for all of us for the next five weeks. I think this will help us secure our homes on rocks rather than sand. I believe that one of the most solid rocks that we can offer to our families is just spending quality time with one another. And I know the modern family does not spend enough time sitting around the table having a meal together. I propose that we choose, as our families, whether you live by yourself and you have family that is in the Northwest, I want you to find a FaceTime with them every week. Put them at your table one day a week for the next five weeks. Prioritizing being together, setting up that pillar, that rock of commitment and listening. You put your phones in the basket, and you put them in a different room far away so you don't hear the mm, mm, mm. That will distract all of us. It's going to require more work. It's going — it's not as easy as running through the drive-thru it will require prioritizing. In the next five weeks, there's going to be some really good NBA final games on. And it might just be at the exact time that everybody else can sit around that table together. It might be that one of your teens has this epic concert that they need to go to. They might have to show up late. Prioritizing one day a week to sit around the table and listen to one another. Choose this day, friends. Who will we serve? Who are those rocks that are holding up our family so that when the storms come, the rains beat down, we will be solidly grounded in Christ. May it be so in my life and in yours. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the fact that you are so solid. And that you offer to each of us this choice to build our lives on you and all the fruits of your spirit. So give us courage to go and do that. Give us courage to say no to things and to say yes to others. Help us to set good boundaries, God, so that we can more faithfully be families that choose and follow after you. Amen.